And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. All right, here we go. Another busy broadcast week here at the bunker. We are live. And coming up on the show this week, Chris Braley is going to be joining us tomorrow. He is the managing editor of BleedingFool.com. Wednesday, artist and writer Rick Stacy, And rounding out the week on Thursday, Travis Hansen. He is an artist, illustrator, writer of the online comic strip Life of the Party. So that's our, that's our week. But today, today, we're going to talk about George R.R. R. Martin. We're going to talk about the Hugo Awards because the Hugo Awards are still a thing for some people. So we'll get into that. 71 days here at the bunker without an incident. I think we're doing we're doing pretty well with our track record there, Mrs. Boss. Uh, she is over there diligently applying her craft and uh, making sure that I have all of the information that I need for the Comic-Con update uh, later on uh, this uh, this day. So uh, welcome, everyone. We are live from the bunker. My name is Jason Hudd, and, we, and I am the editor-in-chief here at Sci-Fi for Me. And last week, we had a thing happen. Now, first of all, I want to I want to go back to something that I did, and I put a link in the show notes so people can reference it. When I was doing this show as Chillin' with Pineapple, I had a discussion one night. I had a rant, basically, talking about how we are at the intersection of Brave New World... Fahrenheit 451, Animal Farm in 1984. And I still contend that we are there. Uh, depending on your perspective, you might also add Soylent Green and, uh, and I Am Legend maybe in that because things are getting pretty pretty chaotic and dumb. But, or, or maybe, even, maybe even Logan's Run. I mean, it just really depends on, on your perspective on this. But I get an email this morning, a notification that uh, the TV show Married at First Sight, which is not a genre show unless you want to consider it some kind of fantasy, but it's been renewed for an additional six seasons. Married at First Sight. Now, basically what this show is, as I understand it, the, the show is about people who have never met, who have never seen each other, and their very first meeting is their wedding. Now, aside from the various stupidity aspects of this and, and the potential for disaster on all of that, the fact that we've got six seasons renewed on this show, uh, this speaks to the example that I gave 
about Brave New World being a part of our society right now. Because Brave New World, if you look at it, Brave New World is a society that's dependent on a drug to keep everybody passive, to keep everybody pacified. And in this day and age right now, the drug is social media and mindless entertainment. And then you get into the 1984 aspects of society right now with big tech censorship. And that's been in the news lately because the big tech people have been testifying before Congress again about their censorship again. We're seeing Fahrenheit 451 play out in Portland where they're burning Bibles because, you know, tolerance. And then there's this from Seattle where Animal Farm is playing out. Now remember, this whole thing is about Black Lives Matter, right? Now not to get too political here, I'm not going to get into the weeds on this, but Black Lives Matter is the movement. It is the, the crux of the idea of all of this. Except in those cases where it's not. In Seattle, the chief of police was visited by Black Lives Matter activists who are all white, and according to the reports, all white, dressed in black, carrying Black Lives Matter signs. Now, stop and consider that the chief of police of Seattle is a black female named Carmen Best. So Black Lives Matter, except when they don't. And that brings to mind the quote from Animal Farm. All animals are created equal, just some are more equal than others. It reminds me of when uh, the reaction to uh, the death of a retired police officer, uh, Dornan, uh, in, uh, Dorn, I think was his name, in, in St. Louis. He was black. Did his life matter or not? It depends on what side of the, of the issue you're on, I suppose. But that's where we are. 1984, Animal Farm, Fahrenheit 451, Brave New World, all playing out in our society now. And this idea of some being more equal than others is what brings me into the Hugo Awards. Which happened last week with very little fanfare because, honestly, frankly... Who cares? Worldcon is the world science fiction. Let me, let, me, let me set this up. For some of you who may not be familiar, you might have heard of the Hugo Awards. But let, me, let me set the table here and let you know a little bit about how this works. So the World Science Fiction Convention is a traveling convention that's hosted by different conventions every year. Different cities become the host for the event. And the way it works is you have the World Science Fiction Society under whose auspices the World Science Fiction Convention is held and, and organized by various different committees, each different every year. And the World Science Fiction Society is a paid membership club where you pay for the right to vote in the Hugo Awards. 
you also get the the ability to vote on any business decisions, changes in the bylaws, rules, regulations, criteria for awards and all of that, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You get to nominate. You get to you get to vote. The event is organized under the auspices of the World Science Fiction Society, but the World Science Fiction Society doesn't really do much with the convention per se. The convention itself is run by whatever committee is in that city with that convention. So this particular year, it was in Wellington, New Zealand, run by the organization Con New Zealand, Con Zealand, yeah, yeah. So that organization ran this year's group. Next year, the the show is in Washington, D.C., and the organizing, the host event is DISCON 3. When it was here in Kansas City back in 2016, 2016 it was Mid-Americon 2. And so each event is its own separate event, and it hosts the Worldcon. All right. Starship Trooper, welcome to the chat. Orwellian for sure. I spent a month on Twitter penalty box because someone didn't like my tweet. I said certain person doesn't know when to keep the mouth shut. Someone reported it and has been promoted violence. See, yeah, and, and, and that's, that's the other thing is anybody can report anybody for anything, whether it's true or not. And Twitter especially is uh, known for that. And we'll get into, the, get into that here in, in a bit because I have examples. Not necessarily of somebody saying something that should be reported, but the call-out culture, the cancel culture, is very, very, very real on Twitter. So, so at the Worldcon, every year that's when they announce the winners of the Hugo Awards. Now, the Hugo Awards have been considered by some and in the past has enjoyed the reputation of being essentially the Oscars of science fiction literature. Science fiction and fantasy. i got to get that right because that's a thing. Science fiction and fantasy literature. The, uh, the Hugo Awards have been a very prestigious award in the past. Now up until about, I don't know, I'd say about five or six years ago, that might have been the case. You walk in you see a Hugo Award-winning book on the shelf, and you might be tempted to buy it, might be tempted to read it. Nowadays, however, so much, not so much. We'll get into why. So, and, and right, Starship Trooper, the Hugo Awards are not the same anymore, and we're going to get into that here because today, George R.R. R. Martin has ruined it for everybody this year. So the Worldcon this year, of course, being virtual because of the COVID-19 house arrest that everybody's under, they couldn't do your usual thing. Now, back in 2016, when it was, in here, when it was here in Kansas City, Sci-Fi for Me was broadcasting live from the floor of the event throughout the entire week. Uh, the five days of the event and and the the coverage is here actually I should put that I should put that link in our in our show notes so you can see what we did because we are the only website to ever have done it uh, 
before or since. And the attendance at the Worldcon here in Kansas City, Worldcon 74, was sparse. I mean, how many, how many would you say was there, Mrs. Boss? 1,500, 2,000 maybe? So not even as big as SmallvilleCon. Sci-Fi Snob recognizes that I got a haircut. Welcome to the chat. Says it looks nice. Well, thank you very much. I'll take that. So I'm going to assume that I'm going to get maybe a C plus or a B minus on the haircut. All right. So for the Worldcon to be considered a prestigious event is kind of a misnomer. It is a prestigious event, but only for the people who care. It is a prestigious event for the people who actually deign to show up. Because most of the people in fandom don't care. And there's a reason for that. Uh, says, says, says my haircut makes me look 10 years younger. You know, if I shave, if I shave the beard off, I'll lose another five years. And then, and then maybe you'll be older. Right? I don't know. All right, so... So as as we're getting through this, so the Hugo Awards, various categories, best novel, best novelette, best short story, and all that stuff. And every year that there there's the Hugos, but now it's almost to a point where the Hugos are a warning label almost, where you don't necessarily need to read this book because it wins the Hugo. And the reason for that is because politics have injected themselves. People have injected politics into the process of selecting what wins a Hugo Award. And this was demonstrated quite clearly in 2014, 2015 especially, uh, when they no awarded pretty much every category because the wrong people nominated the wrong books for the wrong reasons. And we'll get into that a little bit here too, because there is history here. And we're seeing it play out again because these people, and I use that term loosely, these children cannot leave well enough alone. So during the Hugo Awards last week, as we mentioned, it's virtual, it's pre-recorded. George R. R. Martin, the host, and he's late on his new Game of Thrones books, which apparently, I guess, is probably not going to matter now because nobody's going to buy it. Because let's cancel George R. R. Martin. Here's why. So this article in the Daily Dot, I'm going to just show you where it is, but I'm not going to get into too much of this because I don't want to I don't want to give them a whole lot of, of attention. But the headline, George R. R. Martin criticized for racism, transphobia while hosting the Hugo Awards. Celebrated author George R. R. Martin angered a lot of fans this week, not because he still hasn't finished the next book in A Song of Ice and Fire, although he missed his self-imposed deadline for that this week too, but because of the incredibly lackluster job he did hosting a prominent award ceremony. The Hugo Awards is one of the most prestigious and well-known award ceremonies for science fiction and fantasy literature, and something many SFF fans and creators alike look forward to every year. 
Like many big events this year, the Hugos turned into a virtual ceremony, streamed online for fans and nominees, and with pre-recorded hosting duties completed by Martin. Now, I'm not going to get it through all of this, but basically what happened, uh, and Natalie Lures, they, they link to Natalie Lures uh, describing the scene on her, on her blog, and this is it. I'm not going to show you the headline because it's got an F-bomb in it, and we are, we are better than that. But this is a description. This is, a, this is basically an angry screed about George R.R. R. Martin and the Hugos. Um, it says here, I have never in my life seen any awards ceremony that in its whole was so blatantly disrespectful of the nominees and winners, and I'm including my high school senior awards ceremony, where I learned that half the money my family donated to the music department after my mother's death had been used not for the purpose for which it had been donated in this assessment. Okay, so this, this diatribe from Natalie Lures, and I've never even heard of Natalie Lures, I don't know who she is, she, Z, they, who, whatever. I don't. I don't even know what pronouns these people use anymore. Um, complaining about Martin's comments, complaining about Martin's hosting performance, and basically the the crux of it, as I'm able to determine, a couple of things. One, he mispronounced some names. And two, he apparently said some nice things about John W. Campbell, which in this day and age is heresy. You're not supposed to say anything about John W. Campbell. The, the, uh, the award for which John W. Campbell, which then was named after John W. Campbell, got changed last year to the Astounding Award for the Best New Writer. And I guess I didn't see it. It was on Discord. We didn't get to get to it very much. But apparently he called it the John W. Campbell Award instead of the Astounding Award. And, and people are all up in arms about that as well. So the reaction to all of this is how dare he. And... Data Racer one one seven over on Twitter after we after we uh, gave him a, a tip on it, he scrubbed through and found a lot of reactions to all of the shenanigans from George R. R. Martin and Sci Fi Snob. You've predicted, you called it. He needs to be canceled. Praising a fascist and mispronouncing names of the black and brown nominees of the award ceremony he pre-recorded is an unacceptable failure according to one. If y'all are surprised that GRRM is a racist and misogynist, you're going to be shocked when you read his books. <clears throat> Just imagine a world con that didn't keep picking old white men to be toastmasters. Go on, imagine it. Um, GRRM, this, is, this, is, this one is choice. This one is choice. GRRM made it clear that what he values most are dead racist white men that many would rather forget, so I wish him well in becoming one. This reaction here. Now, Martin then posts this reaction 
this response to the reaction. Quoting Voltaire, we are all full of weakness and errors. Let us mutually pardon each other our follies. He's basically saying, hey, we all make mistakes. And we do. I've made one or two of them myself. Some of them Mrs. Boss knows about. Some of them she doesn't. But the reaction to the response to the reaction was, This is not an apology! <laughs> How dare he! All right. So George R.R. R. Martin now falls into the same category as J.K. Rowling in that they are his. He has a terrible, he has a terrible, terrible, terrible person. Now, let's recall that George R.R. R. Martin was a hero to these people for pushing back against Larry Correa and the Sad Puppies a few years ago in 2014, 2015. When all the sad puppy stuff was going on, George R. R. Martin was one of the most outspoken critics on his blog. He was taking on the comments of Larry Correa. They were going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And George R. R. Martin was a hero to these people. Go, George! Kick those sad puppies! Now... See this and this is where this is where you get into this group. And I don't mean this group as in the Worldcon group. I'm talking about this group in terms of mindset, the cancel cult. If you are no longer useful to them, you are a victim of them. If you are no longer part of their solution, you're part of the problem. Now, their solution is problematic. Their solution is flawed. The premise on which everything they do is based is bad. But that's immaterial. The idea here is that we are going to include you in our group until it's no longer advantageous for us to include you in our group. When you become a liability, you become a target. You do one little thing, one little thing, blood in the water. And that's what happened here with George R.R. R. Martin. Now, the reaction online, and of course, let me, let me qualify this in that we have to remember that only about, I think if I remember the numbers right, only about 2% of the population uses Twitter. So for too, too long, too many people have put too much emphasis on what the Twitterati think. And as Barry Weiss writes in her, re in her resignation from the New York Times, the editorial board of the New York Times, and I would say other media, is now... Twitter. Folks, Twitter is irrelevant. It has to be. We no longer can afford to give so much freaking attention to the 12 crazy people on Twitter. Stop. 
Stop giving Twitter your time and attention. Twitter should not matter. Only 2% of the population uses Twitter. Get off of Twitter. Get away from Twitter. That's my that's my rant. But you have Michi the adorable tiny demon. Here's an uh, uh, the Hugos are trash. Let's replace them. Now this is this is the 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 part where now they start going after each other. We should you know, we can't trash the event. We only trash certain people as part of the event. And they get into now the structural problems of the Worldcon. The Hugos are part of Worldcon, and while the con and ceremony are absolutely problems that a lot of us are fed up with, the awards and people who won them are not the problem. Nuance and compassion, do you have it? Being a Hugo finalist and winner is still a big plus to folks' career and visibility. I would argue it is not. It can open doors to opportunities we would have a harder time accessing and gives us the ability to help others through. Okay, maybe. But the, but the argument here that the Worldcon has a problem, this is nothing new. And for the people to start realizing it and start calling each other out for it, this is just more of the left eating its own. And, and it was predicted by a number of people back in 2014-2015 that this kind of thing will happen. That the, the Hugos will implode. And we're seeing it, maybe the beginning of it. Um, Holly B, uh, he posted it on his website over a week ago. It may not have been an apology to a fan. They took it as such. Yeah, I'm. I'm going to. I'm going to uh, uh, be. Uh, I'm going to choose to be offended simply because I can be offended. Um. Sci-Fi Snob, a detailed discussion of the sad puppies. I think it might be worth a discussion, but we had, we had, we did have, uh, I did, uh, I did an interview with, um, what was her name? Sarah Polk, who was one of the organizers of Sad Puppies 3, and we interviewed her during the Worldcon 74 stuff. That one's available. And I do think that it would be worth an examination of what happened with the sad puppies. I'm going to try to see if we can get Larry Correa on and maybe Brad Torgerson and maybe talk about the legacy of the puppies. That's a good idea. I'm going to write that down. We're going to we're going to we're going to see if we can make that happen. They may not decide that they want to talk about it, but who knows? We'll try. We'll give it the old college try because I went to college. Here is another reaction, Becca Evans. I am stunned, but sadly not surprised that GRRM and others mangle names so badly in pre-recorded videos when the con staff asked for pronunciation guides. The bare minimum of respect to finalists and they couldn't be bothered. Now, I'm going to uh, I'm going to do something here. I'm going to maybe kind of take their uh, take take this to task. Uh, Stop. Yes, I will put a link to that interview in uh, in the show notes here. Um, could you pull that up? My interview with Sarah Polk, P A P 
P-A-U-L-K, I believe. Um, all right, we'll put that in. I think, well, I'll get, I'll get Mindy to put that as a, as a uh, comment here in the thread, and then we'll post it in the show notes. We do. Okay. So the mispronunciation of names, uh, having, having a little bit of experience in this, having been a broadcast and media professional for 30 years now, not to toot my own horn, but toot toot. Pronunciation of names can be a challenge at times, especially if you are dealing with names that have uh, glottal stops or fricatives or elements in the language that don't necessarily exist in English. So there are... There are certain ways of pronouncing German, for example, or you get into some of the some of the African languages that have sounds as a, as well as consonants and vowels. That becomes a challenge to pronounce them properly, and you know I, when I when I run across a name that I'm not able to you know just instantly recognize, okay, this is how it's pronounced. One of the things that I do, besides looking for phonetic pronunciations and such, which I hear is what they did here, one of the other things that I do is I go on YouTube and I go on search and I look for other interviews with that person. And I want to see if anybody out there is, you know, if you interview someone, more than likely you have talked to them and say, okay, let me make sure that I pronounce this right. And so the pronunciation is going to be correct, I would hope, on these videos where they're interviewing someone. So I look for that. And I look for more than one to make sure that I get it right because some people don't get it right, some people do. So you look at, you know, say uh, Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel, CNN, Entertainment Tonight, any, any of the big red carpet videos or anything like that, or the more in-depth interviews you know, as part of the press junkets if they're doing, you know, if, it's a, if it's an actor or director or whatever. There's the link in the chat there for that interview with, uh, is it Kate Polk? Kate Polk. That's right. Thank you. So, <clears throat> so I can attest to the challenge of pronouncing names properly. Uh, if you don't do your homework, if you don't practice it, then it is a challenge. Now, to that point, George R.R. R. Martin himself has responded to some of this, and this is, uh, this is a reaction, this is a, a comment that he posted over at File 770, which is Mike Glyer's site, which I hate to reference, but this is a comment from Martin himself, and he's basically saying here uh, that he was not provided with pronunciations. Now, according to him, he was given envelopes with the names of the winners, and those envelopes included the phonetic pronunciations of the winners' names, not the nominees'. He did not have that information. According to him, he didn't get any pronunciation guides ahead of time for when he recorded his videos. So, it is one of those things now where everybody is accusing him of doing this 
And he says, no, 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 that's not how it went. We didn't get pronunciation guides. Now, I can say from from that standpoint, if if you are an organizer of an event, if you're doing uh, an awards ceremony, if you're doing any kind of presentation where you're where you're introducing people, then it is incumbent upon you to make sure that those pronunciations are there. Whether it's the phonetic pronunciation or you write, I mean, we do it here. You know, Mrs. Boss does it. I do it. You write it down the way it's pronounced so that not necessarily how it's spelled so you can get it right when you pronounce it, when you say it. Japanese names are sometimes a challenge uh, because we deal with a lot of stories about anime. And so we get these very long, complex names that are that are Asian in origin, and sometimes they're easy to pronounce. Sometimes they're not. Um, some of the names in comics are challenges because there's a lot of Filipinos. There are a lot of a lot of South Americans who are part of the comics industry now. You want to make sure that you pronounce these names correctly. I get that, but sometimes. You're not going to do it. Sometimes you're not going to you're not going to get that that right. Um, Sci-fi snob says I always pronounce his name wrong. It's not snob. It's snob. Or maybe it's snob. Now, according to Martin, he was not given these these pronunciations and. If you're doing pre-recorded stuff, and I get, yes, you're going, this is, this is a weird year for all of this. And this is one of the reasons why I think that it is important for the, for the event organizers to involve media people like us, other YouTube channels, other media entities to help them with this stuff because we have experience with broadcasting. We have experience with the live streaming. We have experience with putting together video product to, to go out to audiences. Now our audience is not that big. There are other channels out there that have a bigger audience than we do, but we've got the experience to do this kind of thing. So we reach out to events like Fan Expo, like Dragon Con, like uh, uh, Read Pop, and we sit there and we say, "Look, we've been doing this for a while. Let us help you." No, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. If you have somebody on your staff with experience in live stream broadcasting, that's one thing. If you've never done it before and you're making it up as you go, and it it would appear that the New Zealand folks might have been running into that. Now, they did everything on Discord. I don't know. You've got to have somebody who's got experience with Discord to be able to do this. We don't have that yet. We've got a Discord channel. We don't use it. I've got it set up. We don't use it because I don't know how yet. I haven't had time to sit and go through and, and learn how to use Discord to our advantage. In... Someday in the future, we'll be able to use the Discord. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know if there's any benefit to it or not. We didn't really get very much traffic on our Twitch channel, so we shut that down. So maybe Discord is the thing. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> Holly B says, real name is Lavinia. It's always mispronounced. Doesn't bother. 
Well, and, and, you know, I get it. When I was in high school, this is something that's always stuck with me. When I was in high school in our church youth group, my youth minister, we had a class and we, the beginning of the quarter, and he says, you know, everybody, we, everybody sat in a circle and everybody introduce yourselves. Give us your name and then tell us what you prefer to be called. Now, this is back before all of the transgendered, multiple identity, multiple pronoun business started. <clears throat> this is back in the day when you had a name, you had maybe a, a diminutive of that name, or you maybe had a nickname. Um, or some people go by their middle name. My first girlfriend used her middle name as her name because she didn't like her first name. And it stuck with me that it's important to, to a person's identity. And my son is like this. His name is James. He does not like to be called Jim. He does not like to be called Jimmy. That's not his name. And he will tell you, my name is James. It's important to him that you get his name right. And I understand it's important. If you have the name, that's what you go by. It's important that people call you by that name. Now, it, you know, if, if Bruce Jenner wants to go by the name Caitlin, that's perfectly fine. Okay. It's a little bit different. But, you know, it's one of those things. But mispronouncing names does not automatically mean that you are racist. And in this, in this blog here, let's see, where did I see it? Uh, ba -da -ba -da -ba well, I don't have it in front of me here. Um, it's basically, uh, it basically got pointed out that he didn't, he didn't mispronounce just the names of people of color. He mispronounced a lot of names. He mispronounced the names of white people too. But it gives them it gives them a hook. It gives them something for which they can use to attack him. Because he's white, because he's old, he's the establishment. Let's get rid of him. Um Snob says, they knew a girl they called W12. The last name started with a W and had 12 letters afterwards. She was Polish. She hated it. My best friend in high school, his last name was Morawski. And I remember, I remember when Basha was really big in the States. You, do you remember Basha, the, the artist, the singer? Great performance in live. live she puts on a really great live show. So Basha goes by her first name, Basha. Basha, Basha, Basha. And I heard Casey Kasem on America's Top 40 pronounce her last name. Because it's on, it's on the liner notes for her CDs, for her albums. Her full name is there. And I looked at it. This is really long. I think she's Polish. And I will always remember, it, it, it struck me when Casey Kasem pronounced it. He, he pronounced it Basha Szechlewska. 
and he got it. I guess he got it right. I mean, he's Casey Kasem, American Top 40. You would think he'd do his homework. And so after that, I looked at it, and I could always hear it in my head how it's pronounced. Polish names are another one, like Japanese names. They're very, they're very much a challenge. Because how many, how many of those consonants are silent? It happens. But you have these, yeah, like like Bjork, exactly. Yeah, you know, who knows the rules for some of these things? I mean, you look at you look at German, for example. I I, I mentioned German before. Um, there are rules for pronouncing certain letter combinations. Uh, the J in German is pronounced like a like a Y over here, a Y sound. You know, the the CH is a hard fricative. You know, it's a it's a guttural sound. There's there's a lot there's a lot of nuance and there are a lot of rules to pronouncing German. It's not an easy language. Klingon. I mean, any language. You start to get into pronunciation problems. It does not make you a racist. I have a tough time sometimes pronouncing white people's names. Does that make me a racist? How, how, does, this, how does this work? Where it's, you know... One does not, one does not connect to the other. It does not. You you don't have a cause and effect here. This is not a causality uh, relationship here. This is maybe a corroborative. This is, you know, what's the what's the uh, what's the the phrase. Um, Oh, I, I, some something about uh, something about causality. I, what's it's on the tip of my tongue. But the the fact that one thing happens does not mean that something else is in play. And for George R. R. Martin to sit there and mispronounce names, and he's even admitted, and he even said it in this comment thread on on File Seven Seventy, he has a tough time pronouncing the names of his own characters that he created. That he made up. Not everybody is going to be like J.R.R. Tolkien and a master of a language that you create, much less a language that actually exists and, and is out there in the world. Now, does George R.R. R. Martin have a responsibility to try to pronounce these names correctly? Sure. The fact that he didn't, to me doesn't imply it to me does doesn't doesn't show that he's racist what it tells me is that he's lazy and unprofessional that he doesn't want to take the time to bother does that does that not make any more sense than he's a racist but then you couple that with the fact that apparently he said some nice things about John W Campbell and and, and that was all she wrote Katie bar the door the horses have left. The barn is on fire. Because, of course, anybody who says anything good about John W. Campbell is automatically a racist and a fascist. Because John W. Campbell apparently was a racist and a fascist. 
Now, let's ignore the fact that the science fiction genre would probably not even exist. And it certainly would not exist as it currently exists without the work of John W. Campbell. Whatever his personal feelings about people were is immaterial to the fact that he published science fiction. And he was very influential in the growth of science fiction, in, in science fiction becoming a genre that, at the very least, a, f a, a few handfuls of people respected. Granted, it was the pulp of the time, and they were adventure stories, and maybe they didn't have a whole lot of depth to them, and, and that's fine. But John W. Campbell was not the only publisher of science fiction. John W. Campbell was not the only editor out there who had ideas and opinions about what science fiction should be, what it should look like. But he was one of the most influential. And I'm sure that John W. Campbell winning a 1945 retro Hugo only added fuel to that fire, especially after the John W. Campbell Award was named to the Astounding Award. That was the magazine that he edited. And Jeanette Ng, uh, again, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, but Jeanette Ng went off on a screed last year when she won that award and talked about how John W. Campbell was this racist fascist, and of course that speech wins award, an award this year for best related work. So really, the Hugo Awards have just turned into this, have, have turned into one big self-congratulatory circle jerk. It is, look how great we are, look how wonderful we are, look how inclusive we are, oh wait, you're not allowed to be here. Now I want to I want to get into a little bit about this notion that the Hugo Awards and the the, the WorldCon is a is a is a prominent event is a is a preeminent event these are prestigious awards Maybe they were at one point. But I would submit to you today that the Hugo Awards don't matter a hill of beans to anyone outside of this insular He-Man Woman Haters Club that's patting themselves on the back for how great and wonderful they are. At the same time, they are letting everybody know who's not welcome here these are the votes every year now this being a nonprofit organization they have to they 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 publish the results of all of the different numbers of the business and and the nominees and the results and everything so these are the results of the 2020 hugo lodestar and a sowing award i want you to notice this very first line here <clears throat> In the nominations, <clears throat> now again, this is the World Science Fiction Society. It's a paid membership. So you pay 
for the right to nominate and vote on the Hugo Awards and the Lodestar and the Astounding. 1,584 votes were cast at the nomination stage, 2,221 for the final ballot. That's how many people voted in the 2020 Hugo Awards. That is smaller than Smallville Con in Hutchinson, Kansas. It's smaller than TopCon in Topeka, Kansas. They, these are tiny, tiny numbers. These are rookie numbers, as they say. Hollywood says, I was at Worldcon in 2018. A man said he'd read nothing, was only voting for anyone who was not a white male. And that's exactly what this has gotten into. It is identity politics driving everything in the Hugos. I, you have a look on your face. What? The dragon, yeah, the Dragon Awards. I could, I could try to look those up. Let me look up the 2019 Dragon Awards. I don't know if they publish uh, the numbers or not. Maybe they do. Let's see. Um, I see list of winners. Um, Let's see. Here's the ballot. Uh, page is missing. All right. So I'll I'll have to uh, I'll have to look for the that information on that. That's a good question. I would be interested in seeing just how many people voted in the in the Hugo in the Dragon Awards, right? Rather. But yeah, it, as as it as it's been pointed out, you know, the Hugos is is nothing but a, a let's. Let's give ourselves, let's give each other awards. There was a, there's a, there's an exercise in theater. If you're, if you're into theater performances, uh, there is an exercise that uh, is done among the cast members during rehearsals. It's a, it's a way for them to kind of get comfortable with each other um, <clears throat> as, as they're rehearsing, as they're practicing, as they're, as they're getting to know each other. It is, uh, everybody, everybody is in a line and everybody gives the next person in line the, the neck and shoulder rub, right? And then they flip and everybody does it again. And it's this get, getting to know each other. We're going to pat each other on the back. We're going to rub each other's shoulders. We're going to, we're going to feel good about each other. But there's only so many people that are involved here. And you might think, okay, well, well, maybe this is an outlier because, you know, we couldn't go to the event. Nobody, uh, nobody shows up because it's all got to be virtual. So nobody's traveling. So nobody participated because what's the point? So, folks, you would think that. But here's the 2019 Hugo results. Three thousand ninety-seven votes cast for the final ballot. That's a little more than twenty twenty, and so maybe you can make the case. Maybe you can make the case where the the pandemic 
had an impact, maybe. <clears throat> maybe. But here's 2018. 2,828 ballots cast. Here's 2017. 3,319 votes cast. Here's 2016. 3,130. Now. No, don't give me that. Now, here's, here's the one thing that I want to... I, I, I did that, and here it is, and I messed everything up. <clears throat> if you look at I did okay I'm going to have to take that fade to black out because it messes up every every shot so if you take there we go the 2016 ballot you take the 2016 ballot this is the ballot that was in Kansas City this is the year after Sad Puppies 2 now Sad Puppies 2 is the bellwether because if you look at the the way this goes is here's 2015. This is Sad Puppies 2. 5,950 total votes. This is Sad Puppies 2. Sad Puppies 2 was an effort to get more people involved in voting for the Hugo Awards. And as you can see, it succeeded. This is also the year where the Hugo Awards imploded and almost every category, no award. Or it was somebody who was nominated by not the puppies you have one one two three four five six Seven, eight. I mean, there are there are so many categories where there was a no award vote here that it just it it completely ruins uh, the idea here that that this was objective at all. And now I can't switch my. I can't switch my camera shot. Hang on, let's let's try. 
There we go. All right. You've got what? One kind of number. All right. Well, you've got I just, one kind of number I there. I did a quick Google search just to be lazy on this with the Dragon. Now, the difference with the Dragon Awards versus the Hugos is that you pay to be part of the Hugo Awards, where the Dragon is open to pretty much everybody because right. it is for the fans, unlike Hugo. Um, but it does sit there and say the dragons were uh, first presented in or 2016, um, which we knew about because we interviewed them from Dragon Con. Right. Um, and created the occasion on the 30th anniversary of Dragon Con to recognize excellence in all things science fiction and fantasy. In 2018, 11,000 voters casted a ballot. They are given out annually at Dragon Con in Atlanta. Georgia. So read, read that number again. 11,000. 11,000, which in one event, the inaugural event, is more than any three years of Hugo Award voting. That's very telling. So this is what they say, just to get an idea of the difference with the two of them, because more people care. Nominations and votes are collected electronically. Participation is available to anybody or everyone requiring only an email address, but no membership or other fees to vote. The Dragon Awards website states they um, reserve the right to invalidate, suspect, or questionable ballots without notice, and that all decisions required regarding the voting process and selection of winners shall be made by Dragon Con in its sole discretion, shall be final, and shall not be subject to change or appeal. Language describing the review of nominations does not state that nominations are counted numerically, but are gathered and reviewed to create a final ballot. Neither counts of nominations nor votes have ever been made public. The award process consists of two steps. A nomination step where each voter nominates one work of choice in each category. The nominations are gathered and reviewed to create the final ballot. A voting step where the finalists selected are nominated works from the voted, are voted on by each voter. All right, so it's essentially it's the same process that Worldcon uses for the Hugos, uh, where you have the, nom the nominating step and, and the nominees that get the most uh, vote, you know, the, no the, the, the works that get the most nominations go on the ballot. Um, <clears throat> And in this particular case, you know, the, the initial complaint that Larry Correa had and, the, and Brad Torgerson and that group in the Sad Puppies group, Sarah Hoyt, the idea here was that the, the Hugos were only nominating a certain people because of checkbox criteria, not because the stories were good. And there were a lot of stories that were good that were being ignored because they were written by the wrong, wrong think people. And so we wanted to expand and, and get more nominees and get more people active and get more people participating. The Sand Puppy's goal was not to destroy the Hugo Awards. Now, Vox Day might have decided that's what he wanted to do. But Vox Day is not necessarily representative of the entire movement <coughs> as much as he might want to claim. There are not a lot of people who claim him as part of their their thought processes here. And 
the the 2014 results because 2015 was the big one sad puppies too but sad puppies one this is the first year that larry korea organized this you look here at 20, 2014 3587 total votes so in 2014 and 2015 there was a significant jump and you might think well is this an outlier well no it's not here's 2013 1,848 ballots. There are very few people who care about Worldcon, who care about the Hugo Awards. And yes, uh, Holly B, exactly. Publishers can use it to push a client. And there have been accusations against Tor Publishing for a number of years now that they are significantly involved behind the scenes to the point where there are some people who feel like the Hugo Awards have been gamed and maybe, maybe rigged so that Tor Publishing titles get a significant number of wins. Now, you go back through here, Fran Wilde even says, uh, makes makes a point, because you talk about this being the world con, right? Fran Wilde makes a point, the host country's own awards got buried and then unnamed during the Hugos. It's a disgrace. If we are going to call it a world con, it cannot be run like a private rolling party where the core homogeneity year after year club sits in first class yelling, get off my lawn. Folks, they are starting they are starting to realize what they are doing here. Mishi the adorable tiny demon. Basically don't ask marginalized folks to weigh in just on marginalized identity issues. If you're not asking uh, uh, black, indigenous, people of color, disabled, LGBTQ, disabled, etc. folks to give you feedback on craft, business, criteria, uh, critical analysis, guests, etc., then you've already failed. This is something, look, this is something that conservatives, and I'm going to use that term broadly, but Larry Correa, Brad Torgerson, all these people in the Sad Puppies, this is what they were talking about. If you are going to be inclusive then include everybody. Don't just include the right somebodies. Don't just include people who align with you politically on certain things. This needs to be across the board. This goes back not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. This is what matters. If you are going to have a group that claims to be inclusive, then you include Everybody who qualifies for your club's criteria. And this is something that, that Christopher Priest complained about when he was working in comics at Marvel. Hey, you're black. Why don't you write Black Panther? Christopher Priest got, got, has, has mentioned this a number of times. That people kept giving him, Marvel Comics kept giving him titles with black characters because he was black. When are we going to stop using race, gender as the ultimate criteria for making determinations on things? 
wasn't the whole civil rights movement basically about getting rid of those distinctions so we treat everybody the same? Or did I have that wrong? I wasn't there. I was born in 1970. The civil rights movement was done by then. At least the 64, 63, 64, Selma and all the, right, all the, all the, the marches and stuff. I missed all of that. But if I did my homework right, and if I understand right, the entire, the entire purpose of the civil rights movement was to get everybody to be treated equally. And that doesn't happen. And not just, I'm going to discriminate against you because you're black. I'm going to treat you badly because you're black. If I'm going to give you preferential treatment because you're black or Native American or uh, or or lesbian or you've got purple hair or you're fat or you're skinny or you're tall or you're short or you've got one eye that squints and the other one doesn't if i give you preferential treatment because of physical attributes or political party then you're doing it wrong if this is an award about the best of a craft then that should be what it's about and it's no longer about that i am naive i am i am sci-fi snob has it right i am naive i would like to think that the world works the way it's supposed to work you know the way god intended it to work not the way people corrupt it now they're starting to understand that they have, they have ruined this for themselves. Now, I want, I want to make it very clear. When we're going through all of this, and I know I've gone long today, but I want to make this point, because the Hugo Awards, like the comics industry, like what's going on in the comics industry now, the Hugo Awards for the last few years, Gamergate, Comicsgate, uh, what we see in the the entertainment industry as a whole, what we see in all of these different forms of entertainment <clears throat> where certain animals are more equal than others. I had this idea when I, when I was first thinking about the idea for this show and, and a rant show or whatever, and, and the thought of doing kind of a call-in radio show, one of, the, one of the ideas that I had was to emphasize... And to really lean into the fact that I'm a conservative and, you know, the whole geek on the right type of thing. But as I as I go through all of this, as, as I look at all of this, I realize and, and, and this is something that came to me here a few uh, a, a while back. This is no longer about political party. This is not about right versus left. This is not about red versus blue. It's not about conservative versus liberal. It's not about Democrat, Republican. It's not about straight versus gay, white versus black. It's not about that. This is about power. This is about power and control. This is about the people who want power people who have power and they desire to keep power in all of these things 
Worldcon, Hugo's, comics, video games, politics, in everything in the culture, it is about power. The Black Lives Matter, it's about power. The presidential election, it's about power. It's about the power to control other people. Wear a mask, don't wear a mask. Open your business, don't open your business. This is not about health and safety. That might be part of it, but it's about power and control. The Hugo Awards are no different from everything else. The Worldcon is not any different from anything else. It is about power and control. And I would go back to a point that I made in last week's show. I want to say I want to say it was the show last week. Ultimately, when you're talking about power, people don't realize this is a very fragile construct. Power is nebulous, and power is one of those things that can flip hands very quickly. But ultimately, the people who really have the power is the consumer. It's not about awards. It's not about accolades. It's not about who likes whom. Ultimately, it's about you, the consumer. You, the consumer, you, the voter, you, the citizen. If you're in the United States, we've got an election coming up. You, you have power and control. Not enough people exercise that power and control. But you exercise power and control when you vote. You exercise power and control when you choose whether or not to buy a product. N.K. Jemison wins the Hugo Award. I choose to buy that book or I choose not to buy that book. It doesn't have anything to do with whether or not she wins the Hugo Award. I choose to buy or not buy. I choose to buy the new X-Men title in the comics. I choose not to buy the X-Men title in the comics. You have the choice. You have the control. You have the power. And as soon as enough people realize this, a lot of these problems are going to go sideways because these people are starting to realize as the cancel culture comes back around to bite them on the butt, they have created their own monster here. And as this comes back on them, they're going to realize just how tenuous their hold on power is. And as you folks out there start to realize how much power is in your hands, the paradigm will begin to shift. You, as the consumer, have the power to make the changes that you want to see in all of this, in the entertainment industry, in, in the, the political scene, in the culture war, 
all of it. It's entirely up to you. You decide. You choose. You vote. You buy. You don't buy. And that scares these people. And yes, Worldcon is getting smaller and smaller and smaller and less relevant and less significant. And that scares these people too. Because they no longer have control over the destiny of an entire genre, over an entire industry. There are too many other ways to get your book out there. There are too many other ways to get your story in front of an audience. We've seen that with Indiegogo. We've seen that with self-publishing. We don't need the science fiction and fantasy authors of America. We, uh, writers of America, rather. We don't need the World Science Fiction Society. We don't need Tor Publishing. We don't, we don't even need banned publishing. We have banned books. If you want to go the other, the other side of the spectrum, we don't need the publishers to get our book out there. I published a book. I didn't go through ban. I didn't go through tour. I didn't go through any literary agency or anything like that. I just self-published a book. It's not great. It's not, no, it's not a fantastic book. If it's a book, you have the control. You have the power. You have the responsibility to exercise that power responsibly. Ultimately, ultimately, everything comes down to what you decide, what you choose to support. And if you want to support us, see, I'm going to, I'm going to transition there. If you want to support us, there are a couple of ways you can do it. We do have the PayPal link in there for, for tip jar. You do super chats. We have a subscribe star account. And if you want to save some money on stuff, we have a 10% discount negotiated over at superherostuff.com. You can use the promo code sci-fi for me 10 when you check out and you will save some money. And that's going to do it for us today. Uh, we are going to have a brand new H2O podcast tonight at 8 o'clock. Mr. Harvey and I are going to be expanding on this, not necessarily talking about the Hugos, but we're going to be talking about Comic-Cons in general. Are they relevant? Are, what, does, what does the Comic-Con landscape look like now in the wake of the virtual events and all of this stuff that we've been dealing with. So that's going to be what we're talking about tonight at 8. Tomorrow on this show at noon, Chris Braley will be our guest. He's the managing editor at bleedingfool.com. On Wednesday, we've got artist and writer Rick Stacy, And on Thursday, we have illustrator and artist Travis Hansen joining us. So a full week of interviews coming up throughout the rest of the week here in the bunker. And we might or might not have a triple bites tomorrow night. We're still working on that. So uh, 8 p.m. Central. So right now, currently it is 1.21 here. So in roughly six and a half hours, we will be live here for the H2O podcast. And we do hope you join us there. If you are new to the channel, we welcome you. We hope you subscribe. And uh, make sure that your notifications are on and set to all, because that way YouTube will know to send you some of the notifications. And if you are listening to this show as a podcast, we do invite you to watch live on our YouTube channel from uh, noon to one. 
Monday through Thursday, all times are central. And we've got a full broadcast week ahead of us, and uh, we do hope that you join us for all of those uh, all of those shows. Let me get the schedule up here for people to see. And there it is, live from the bunker, Monday through Thursday at noon central. The Comic-Con updates at 6.30. H2O podcast tonight at 8.00. The Cosplay Diaries, uh, we will try to have a new episode of The Cosplay Diaries over on our Instagram channel on Thursday. We'll have another Tardis Sauce at 9 o'clock Thursday, plus Deep Space Minds, which is our Star Trek discussion program, Friday at 8. A full week. Busy, 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 busy week. So that's going to do it for us here. Yes, that is uh, Eastern Time is one hour past uh, our time here in Central. So... Um, I'm, maybe I need to start putting other time zones in our in our stuff, <laughs> just for just for better reference. I mean, you know, we we are constantly evolving. We are constantly uh, doing things here to try to improve. So uh, that's going to do it. Thanks very much for watching here, folks. Uh, all of you participating in the chat. Thank you for being here. Uh, the the new people that we've seen, Holly. Uh, thanks for being here, Starship Trooper. Good to see you again, Sci-Fi Snob. Thank you for the B minus. Uh, that is that is very generous of you, sir. So, uh, yes, so we will do this all again tomorrow at noon. Thank you very much for being here, folks. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2020 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.